Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. Today we are witnessing the colossal power of supercomputers that only a few short years ago would have been impossible. They operate at the bleeding edge of our technological capabilities, harnessing a level of computing power that has redefined the limits of what we previously thought possible. AI being perhaps the most dramatic example. The quantum leap in computational power hasn't just led to more advanced smartphones or AI or more immersive video games. It has ignited a revolution that's reshaping fields of study as diverse as finance and cosmology. Which leads us to our conversation today, taking a look at the intersection of technology and the cosmos. My guest is Andrew Ponson, a renowned professor of cosmology at University College London. He is a contributor to outlets such as New Scientists and BBC Sky at Night and has lent his expertise to PBS Nova and the Discovery Channel's How the Universe Works. His expertise lies in the transformative realm of computer simulations. These are staggering complex algorithms capable of recreating our entire universe from the cosmic ballet of galaxy clusters down to the dance of individual particles. His work offers an exciting glimpse into a new era of cosmology where virtual worlds generated by simulators provide profound insights into our reality. In his new book, The Universe in a Box, Ponson offers an exploration of how these simulations are pushing the boundaries of our knowledge and how they've become invaluable tools in predicting the weather, managing financial risks, forecasting the spread of infectious disease, and even creating special effects for movies. It is my pleasure to welcome Andrew Ponson here to the program. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. Well, it's a delight to have you here. In thinking about these incredible models that you talk about in the universe in a box and these algorithms that are created modeling the universe and various aspects of it, to what extent do they reflect simply our knowledge as of this particular moment in time? And how is, how is the leap taken from the algorithms based on our current knowledge to really understanding more and understanding new things about the cosmos? Mm, yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, you have to start with what you know. So computer is not a magic thing, of course. It essentially follows our instructions. So what we do is we instruct the computer to uh, use laws of physics that we know. And those laws, there's a variety of them. They can include things like gravity. We know that gravity is an incredibly important force in our universe. Um, they can include the way that gas behaves and moves around, but also they include some speculations. And, you know, perhaps foremost uh, amongst those speculations is what the universe is made out of, because we, we don't know for sure all of its ingredients. And in fact, we think that only a small fraction of the universe is made out of the familiar materials that are, that are familiar to us here on Earth. So we have to speculate to perform one of these simulations that's attempting to recreate something of the universe inside a computer. And where that leads to a scientific advance is that you make a speculation, you see what would that predict for what I would see through a real telescope in the real universe. And then you make that comparison. And if you're, uh, you're able to successfully account for what we're seeing, then that starts lending evidence that your assumptions about what's actually in the universe 
uh, are maybe not literally correct, but they're at least on the right lines. And then you can start refining those. So is there an element of AI essentially that, that is part of this? Is it a machine learning process? Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the AI is hugely important in our uh, in, in our whole field, and it serves various different purposes. So one purpose would be to look at the data coming from telescopes. So the, the telescopes that we have today are so successful, and, and many of them uh, simply scan the sky. So there's one that's about to come online called the Vera Rubin Observatory. It will be scanning the sky every night for 10 years, just uh, looking to see what's out there. Now, the thing is, there are not enough astronomers or cosmologists in the world to sit there and look at every single image that this telescope will take. So AI plays a central role in analyzing what's actually coming from telescopes like that. It can classify what you're looking at. It can flag things that need further follow-up that humans should should investigate. And it can do things that are even more exciting, like kind of make depth maps. It can kind of estimate so that you don't just have a single 2D image that's coming from the telescope. It can estimate depths for uh, the objects that it's picking up um, and sort of turn it into 3D maps. So, so this is uh, hugely important to us. I think, uh, you know, over the last 10 years, astronomers have lent more and more and more on AI to do these kinds of tasks. Um, but there's an, I suppose there's another role for it as well, which is in uh, actually trying to help us with the physics. So, you know, we were talking about putting physics into computers, but um, can we dream that AI is actually going to help us understand the physics itself? Well, we, we kind of can. It's starting to help with some of that, but it's helping in quite limited ways. At the moment, uh, AIs are not up to the task of just kind of all out replacing physicists and doing the job for <laughs> us. It's more of a sort of c collaboration, which is probably just as well for us. The analogy might be to help people understand that it's kind of radiology for the universe. It's almost like giving the universe an MRI and, and, and really taking that information in, in so much of that information and understanding it in ways that might not have been possible otherwise. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think even the even making what we call maps, you know, where where we just try and find where all this stuff in the universe is, and it really is a tremendously large place. It's it's almost hard just to to express just how big it is because there's, you know, if you think of our sun as just one star of hundreds of billions in our galaxy. So so some telescopes are just trying to map out where are the stars in our galaxy, but that's really just the beginning. The, 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 our galaxy is one of possibly trillions in the universe. And mapping out where those galaxies are might sound like a kind of esoteric exercise, but um, that's exactly what some telescopes are doing because you can then compare those maps with what you would predict from simulations and you can start figuring out, can we actually account for why the universe looks like it does? And, and ultimately, why are we here within that? You know, what is the story that links this vast space and all of the complicated stuff going on within it to our existence here on Earth, uh, where, you know, we're a rocky planet, carbon-based life forms, all of that would be impossible, actually, without this much bigger life support system. Does this explain 
those kind of questions? Uh, have, we, have we moved beyond in the process yet simply the mapping part of the exercise and, and begun to try and take all of that information, all of that data, and draw some conclusions from it? It's a it's a constant it's a constant uh, process. So it's not like we 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 make a map and and then we go and analyze it and then we make an, another map. And continually, maps are being improved and improved both in the sense of going further out into the universe so that we can see further, and in the sense of adding detail into the bits that we already know about. So that's an ongoing process. And then continually, we're trying to then compare that with our virtual universes and the predictions that they can help us make in in a sort of continual effort to uh, both understand this story of where we came from and the bigger picture around that, and also to go back to what we were discussing at the beginning, to test uh, these tentative ideas we have for how to make sense of it and you know what all the materials that make up the universe must be which eventually we hope you know this leads on to a much better picture of physics uh, that we can then test in the laboratory and ultimately leads to new technologies and so on has this effort in modeling led us to any understandings thus far that are counter to what we thought before Absolutely. Yeah, I think that the whole history of doing this is a history of surprising results. The very first person to to simulate a galaxy inside a computer was somebody called Beatrice Tinsley in the in the late 1960s. And at the time, astronomers at that point thought that galaxies are more or less just sort of beacons of light that dot through the universe and they just sit there sending out their light and you, they're not particularly interesting in terms of their their life cycles. And the moment that Beatrice Tinsley actually got a computer to try and recreate a galaxy in a very limited sense, because the, the technology was, of course, very immature in the, in the late 1960s. But at the moment that she did that, she realized a bunch of assumptions people had made about the way that galaxies shine were wrong. And, and that in turn meant that people thought that they were mapping out the universe, that they understood what they were looking at, but actually they didn't. The light coming from galaxies was different from what they imagined, so that the individual galaxies shone in a different way. That meant that the maps that people were making at the time were misplacing galaxies. They were they were imagining galaxies were in a different place to where they really were, because they were being sort of thrown off by their misunderstanding of of the light coming from those galaxies. And that in turn, you know, there's a sort of domino-like effect. That in turn completely demolished what people thought they knew about the universe at the time. They thought they'd seen evidence that the universe was going to re-collapse in on itself, that one day all these galaxies that are out there would start kind of um, collapsing towards each other and there would be some gigantic collision that was called the Big Crunch and the universe would come to an end. Um, that turned out just to be incorrect. And it was it, it was only, it was a sort of mirage that was being made by misanalyzing the light coming from those galaxies. So that, you know, right from the start, uh, these simulations have completely changed the way we do cosmology. As computing power continues to get greater, as telescopes that you were talking about before 
continue to get better and stronger. Can you imagine a situation where we, we are discovering facts and information that's actually counter to what these models have taught us thus far, that as the technology progresses, we learn more and in fact, in some cases, uh, are able to be dismissive of what the models have told us at an earlier stage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that happens. So it goes both ways. Sometimes the, the the simulations make a prediction that either changes our mind about something or uh, gives us a kind of um, motivation to go and take a take a new look at the universe. And sometimes that's turned out that the simulations have done really well and put us on exactly the right lines. Other times it goes the other way. And this is just, this is what science is like, I guess, that sometimes these things don't work correctly. And in fact, right now, there's a lot of discussion around images coming from the James Webb Space Telescope. It's been taking images just for a year. It's a very new telescope up in, in space, taking absolutely incredible images. Um, one of the big discussions at the moment is that uh, those images uh, of galaxies that are very far away and that we're therefore seeing uh, from a very long time ago, because the light has just taken, a, you know, billions and billions of years to reach us. So, so it's it's peering back in time and it's finding galaxies that aren't quite like what the simulations would have us expect. So, um, you know, right now this is this is ongoing, but it's a natural part of it. You know, this interplay between the reality which we have to go and measure with telescopes and other uh, exciting instruments. And the sort of virtual reality that we're trying to build, which tries to piece all this together, but it is imperfect. You know, computers are incredibly powerful, but they're, they're not powerful enough to recreate the universe because the universe is a big place with an awful lot of detail in it. So there's, there's, there's a lot that we don't know, and therefore we make mistakes. What are the things that, that you and your colleagues are focused on now? What are the things that we think we can learn from this? In, in the short run? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's, there's multiple things. I mean, one is a big one, which is what is dark matter? And um, also what is dark energy? So these are things that we think are out there in the universe, having a profound effect on the universe, really sculpting the universe that we see. Um, and, you know, various lines of evidence through the 70s and 80s and 90s showed that there must be more to the universe than we see directly. And and then, you know, simulations were key in that, were key to establishing that if you just assume there's these extra things in the universe, then they do help you make sense of it. But we don't know what they are. We we really don't. And there's a lot of there's a, a lot of stuff out there. Um and we want to know what it is. And ideally, we want to be able to capture it here in a lab on Earth. We want to be able to manipulate it in a laboratory on Earth, first of all, so that we can, you know, that would just be, that would then make us completely confident that it's a real thing. You know, right now, you 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 can be worried, right? That, well, it seems to make sense, but if we don't really know what it is and we can't capture it in a lab here on Earth, maybe we're just wrong. So, so we want to find hints about what it is, and then we want to build the experiments that actually find it in a laboratory here on Earth. So that is, I think that is perhaps the most exciting thing that's going on right now. And, you know, simulations, what they let you do is they, you, you can say, well, if dark matter is made out of such and such a type of particle, 
then it would behave in a slightly different way than if it was made out of some alternative possibility. So we can we can kind of perform the simulations. We can create the virtual universes with these different types of dark matter or indeed dark energy, and we can see what happens. And that gives us a hint as to what should we be building to really, uh, you know, get get this matter settled. One of the areas that, that it seems it could be incredibly valuable is in designing the next generation of telescopes to really give us specific information that fills in some of the blanks in these models. Mm, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, simulations have played a role in designing telescopes over the past 15, 20 years, and, and that's just growing all the time. And um, it, it's, it's part of that kind of natural interplay uh, you know, one almost can't exist without the other, that without fresh data coming from beautiful new telescopes, uh, we, we, we're not going to be able to advance. But at the same time, without some hints as to, well, what should we go and look for, um, then we don't know what to construct. It's no use just building bigger and bigger and bigger telescopes if they're not actually going to tell us anything useful. So absolutely, I think the, that simulations play a huge role in saying, what kind of telescope would you build? How, and, and you can compare, you know, you, you can imagine if you did build a telescope with particular specifications, how good would it be at telling us uh, the difference between different possible types of dark matter, for example? Um, so that's a, that's a huge part of it. And as well as, as well as telescopes, by the way, we're also building gravitational wave detectors. So these are detecting the ripples, the sort of distortions that fly through space itself uh, that are made by black holes in the distant cosmos. And so that's another story where we really need the simulations to help us understand how that works and what we should be building next. Are there debates within the scientific community and among cosmologists and physicists about the interpretation of some of this data that comes out of the models. Yes, yes, absolutely. So I think, you know, dark matter is uh, perhaps one of the, the 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 biggest examples I can give you that there are a community of very serious scientists who would argue, you know what, the evidence for dark matter isn't quite there yet. And in particular, they say, well, you're, you're saying you need this dark matter to sculpt the universe and to pull things in the right place and to make the galaxies behave like we can see that they're behaving. But what if that's the wrong explanation? What if our uh, uh, instead the, the way we're calculating gravity and the effects of gravity, both when we do it with pencil and paper and when we do it within these simulations, what if we're just getting that wrong? What if, in fact, the true laws that gravity uh, uh, follows out in the real universe are just different from what we imagine? Uh, and so there are, you know, you get into pretty heated debates about about this, and people people uh, really uh, can sometimes get quite upset about this. I think, to me, um, you know, we're all in the end trying to do the same thing. We're all trying to get at the truth. And inevitably, it's just a practical matter. As a scientist, you have to decide what are you going to spend your time doing? And, and so personally, for me, I find the dark matter explanation is the most convincing. But I'll very happily admit that uh, there are other explanations out there. I don't personally think they're as powerful, 
but there are other people who would argue the opposite. The next part of all of this is that when when these conclusions are reached, how do you prove them? Yeah, I mean, if if you really want to prove, say, dark matter, we'll stick with that one, then you want to find it in the laboratory. There's no doubt about it that I don't think anybody is going to be 100% comfortable with the idea of extra stuff out there doing stuff to our universe unless we can somehow get our hands on it. Now, the history teaches you that you have to be really patient about things like that. There, there have often been in the history of physics, um, you know, hypothetical things that seem to make sense, but nobody can really find them in a laboratory for 10, 20, 30, 40, even 50 years. Um, so it does take time. And what we know about dark matter, assuming that it's real, is that it's very heavy. It, it has a huge force of gravity, but it doesn't really feel other forces very much, if at all. That makes it incredibly hard to capture and uh, and probe in a laboratory because normally we use forces to hold things in place you know if something's in a container it is the forces coming from the walls of that container that hold it inside whereas dark matter wouldn't feel those forces it would just go straight through your container so it's it's an incredible challenge and there's lots of different ideas about how we should go about doing this um but we we just don't have a time scale for it at the moment um I think it will happen, but I couldn't tell you when. Talk a little bit about the process by which all of this data is turned into into algorithms, to mathematical equations, in order to create these simulations. So, the, yeah, the, the, the foundation of our simulations is physics. So at its heart, there are a set of equations that describe what we think is is it, uh, our universities should do. So those... Um, it's, I'm not. I'm not getting into the actual equations within the book, but I describe what their content is, and the content is things like gravity, uh, but also things like how uh, gas pushes and pulls and uh, uh, squashes and, uh, and and heats and cools. Things like this that are that are laws of physics that we can encode and tell the computer about. So that's a that's part of the picture. But there's another part of the picture, which is that we also need to tell the computer some kind of starting point. So I enjoyed writing about the weather in 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 this respect because, you know, you could you could have a super sophisticated weather prediction machine, right? It's like a simulation. It's a simulation of Earth's atmosphere, and you could make that fantastically good in terms of having all the right physics in it and uh, being able to make the correct predictions in theory. But if it if it doesn't have access to what is the weather doing today, it can't tell you what the weather will do tomorrow because ultimately weather is following a kind of chain of cause and effect. And the, you know, the, the wind in one place today is going to carry the weather over to another place tomorrow. So as well as the laws, you also need what we call initial conditions, some kind of description of how things got started. And so for the universe, that, that becomes a particular challenge. And it takes us off into, well, what really happened with the beginning of the universe? Because what we're trying to do is give the computer some description of what the very early universe was like, and then get the computer to follow everything through and predict uh, how the universe should be behaving today. And that 
yeah, it takes us off into very exciting ideas um, around what happened in the very early moments of of uh, of the universe's existence, which is still quite speculative. It's another speculation, um, but it relates to quantum mechanics. And finally, does that mean that that much of the the speculation, much of the work that these simulations do, are forward looking in terms of of what's going to happen? as opposed to looking back and figuring figuring out what did happen? Well, we do a bit of both um, because, you know, scientifically, often what we do is we predict something that somebody will see through a telescope, through a new telescope, for example. And so that often involves actually predicting the past. It's something that we don't, we, we haven't yet seen, but it has already happened and it, because we're going to capture the light coming towards us. And uh, so, it's a, you know, we're trying to predict things that did already happen in the past, um, starting from what we think was going on at the very beginning of the universe. So, so some of it is about predicting the past in that sense. And But of course, we are also interested in the long-term future for the universe. Uh, and, um, and simulations can certainly shed some light on that. We no longer think uh, what we thought, you know, decades ago that the universe was going to collapse back in on itself and that all of these galaxies would somehow crash back together in a gigantic mess. We now think the universe will carry on expanding indefinitely. Um, and then you can ask, well, what happens to the galaxies within that? And, you know, every individual star within a galaxy will eventually die. It's going to run out of its nuclear fuel that it's using to create light and heat. Um, and the galaxies that are drifting further and further apart in the far future will ultimately look very different from the galaxies that we see around us today uh, because they're going to have less and less fuel available to, to form new stars. And so it's going to be a very long, drawn-out process, but the future will look very, very different from the universe today. Andrew Ponson. His book is The Universe in a Box, Simulations and the Quest to Code the Cosmos. Andrew, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you.